Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And welcome to Stories of Scotland. We're a podcast about Scottish history, folklore, environments and communities. I'm Annie, a full moor gliding on the wind. And I'm Jenny, the wind. We have a very special episode for you today because we are looking at one of the most impressive and awe-inspiring places in all of Scotland. It's one of my favourite rock formations in all the land. And it tells the fascinating story of molten rock within the earth, reaching its fiery fingertips up in a salute to the sea. Today we are exploring the stunning location of Fingal's Cave. This cave is part of the island of Staffa, one of the Inner Hebrides, which are a group of islands scattered in the sea along the west coast of mainland Scotland. It's only half a mile long and a quarter mile wide. And while it is uninhabited by humans, it's home to a rich diversity of wildlife, including Scotland's favourite little clown-like bird, the puffin. You can visit the island by hopping on a guideboat from either Mull or Iona. And this is literally top of my long Scottish bucket list. I just cannot wait to visit Fingal's Cave. Staffa is visible from the islands of Iona and Mull. And it has been well known by the local population and the wider Gallic world for millennia. However, Staffa only came to the attention of the English-speaking world in 1772, thanks to botanist Joseph Banks. Whilst travelling round the Inner Hebrides, a local man tells Banks of an awe-inspiring cave made of towering pillars of stone. This absolutely intrigues Banks, and so he insists that the local man takes him to Staffa. And when Banks returns to the mainland, he claims to have discovered the cave himself. Ah, that's it, Annie. The true spirit of discovery. 
being shown something cool by a local and then acting as though you were the first to find it. It's the British way, Jenny. However, Banks does write a lovely description of Stafford in the 1700s. So, shall we read from the archives? Banks is English, Jenny, so you can do your fancy English accent. Oh, good chuffing waffings. That sounds wonderful, darling. <laughs> and we can all learn together what was so spectacular about Staffa and the incredible place that would come to be known as Fingal's Cave. The impatience with which everybody felt to see the wonders we had heard described prevented any rest in the morning. With the first light, we arrived at the southwest part of the island, and no sooner than we arrived were we struck with a scene of magnificence which exceeded our expectations. The whole end of the island was supported by ranges of natural pillars in rows of columns. Compared to this, what are the cathedrals built by men? Mere models of playthings, diminutive imitations when compared to the sublime building of nature. We proceeded along the shore, treading upon another giant's causeway, every stone beneath our feet being regularly formed into a certain number of sides and angles. So Banks is describing Staffa's coastline, which is made of rows of geometric rock pillars, similar to the giant's causeway, which is a stunning natural landmark across the sea in Ireland. We'll go into that giant tale in a little while, but first, let's get back to Banks in 1772. In a short time, we arrived at the mouth of the cave. I suppose the most magnificent cave that has ever been described by travellers. The mind can hardly form an idea more magnificent than such a space, supported on each side by ranges of columns, roofed by the bottom of them. So Banks is right to be astonished by the beauty of this cave, which cuts deep into the side of the small island and is formed from dark grey hexagonal columns. In his writings, Banks calls the cave Fingal's Cave. Now, he suggests that the locals told him this name, but it's very possible that he may have misinterpreted the actual name that the locals had said. Well, the name Fingal's Cave celebrates the epic legends of the giant Finn McCool, which were very popular at the time, right? But the cave does have an original Gaelic name, doesn't it? Aye, in Gaelic it's called Anuive Vin, which loosely translates to the melodious cave or the musical cave. This makes perfect sense as the cave sings and booms as the waters of the Atlantic lap and crash within it. Yeah, the waves make beautiful sounds in the deep cave. But whether the locals did call it Fingal's Cave or it was a mistranslation, the name has stuck. And this is what the hordes of tourists swept up in the romanticism of Scotland knew it as when they visited. Yes, so this previously little-known feature became a tourist hotspot over the following decades. 
and still to this day draws many a tourist boat out to see its wonders. Get me on that boat, Annie. Oh my gosh, I would make the best Instagram reel if someone put me on that boat. Slash, I'd drop my phone in the ocean. But either way, I'd have a great time. (laughs) (laughs) The name of the island itself, Staffa, is an echo of the seafaring Vikings and their centuries of influence on the Western Isles. In Old Norse, it means Staff Island or Pillar Island because it's reminding the wave-worn Vikings of the traditional log-pillar cabins of their homeland, where the walls were made of upright vertical logs. When I look at the cliff faces, I see a forest of stone, a grand petrified forest rising out of the rough Atlantic waters. And I swear I don't just see this because I am obsessed with trees. Well, it could be because of that, but I'm also obsessed with rocks. So, yeah, no, it probably is because of these things. It's okay to be obsessed with both trees and rocks, Jenny. Oh, thanks, Annie. (laughs) So because I am obsessed with both trees and rocks, and because of the three distinct layers of volcanic basalts and their differing characteristics... I think the island looks like a giant stone forest. But to understand why it looks like a giant stone forest or Norwegian cabins, we have to go back 65 million years to just after the extinction of the dinosaurs. Oh no, but I love a diplodocus. Alas, Annie, the diplodocus are all dead. But... We do still have chickens today, and there's still a little dino in them, right? They come from dinosaurs, don't they? (laughs) Oh, for sure, Jenny. They're basically mini velociraptors. Terrifying creatures. Chickens or velociraptors? Both. But right now, neither exist. Instead, we are in a vast and barren land. Towering volcanoes 3,000 metres tall spew vast amounts of molten hot lava onto the surrounding ashen black terrain. Steaming sulfurous lava fields stretch for miles, and the only features piercing the fiery horizon are more menacing volcanoes. I bet this smells really bad. It sounds very apocalyptic. Oh, it definitely smells bad, and that is the vibe I was going for, what with all the dinosaurs dying and everything, you know? I mean, wasn't that by meteorite and not fire and brimstone? Yeah, yeah, technically it was, but the dinosaurs didn't know any different. Rest in peace, dinosaurs. (laughs) Right, no, no more dinos, only lava and fire. For the end of this stage of life meant nothing to the powerhouse that is Earth. On it went, and on it will continue to go, no matter what chapter of life is unfolding atop it. And at this time, the land that is nowadays northwest Scotland is still attached to Greenland. But over the next 10 million years, as the volcanoes continue to spew their molten cores, the relentless pull of tectonics weakens and eventually separates the Earth's crust. And in time, lots and lots of time, the North Atlantic Ocean opens up and fills. Since then, 
Greenland has drifted away from us at the rate of 2.5 centimetres per year. And while this seems like a tiny amount, it adds up to about 30 kilometres per 1 million years, which means that 1,600 kilometres of cold, stormy waters separate northwest Scotland and Greenland today. So if the land is splitting because of the plate tectonics, where's the ocean coming from? Ah, yeah, so when the land masses are torn apart, it's a really, really slow process. As the plates are pulled in different directions, the crust thins, and molten lava from the hot, hot, hot inner earth is able to easily rise to the surface via volcanoes or large fissures and spill out. This lava then cools very quickly in rock terms and forms basalt. So as the plates split, the space in between is filmed with a thin layer of fast-forming dense rock which creates a low-lying basin. And as we know, most of the time, water flows downhill. So naturally, over millennia, this huge opening basin fills with water and voila, we have a new ocean. And so where does the water for this ocean actually come from? Gosh, Annie, with all the questions today, um, it comes from other places on the planet and melting ice caps and glaciers. But we will get into that in a couple of million years. Jenny, I can't wait that long. I've just got too many questions. All right, well, we have to right now because the islands of Rum, Mull, Arran and St Kilda, plus the Kulins of Skye and Ardnamurchan on the mainland, are all towering volcanoes at this time. And they are slowly flooding the landscape with layer upon layer of molten lava. And it is these layers and layers of lava that led to the formation of the small island of Staffa. The lowest layer, or the layer I like to call the forest floor, is made up of volcanic tuff, essentially solidified volcanic ash. And the top layer, the forest canopy, is a fast-cooling billowy basalt, which in parts looks as if it's still flowing. But the middle layer is where the fun happens, the tree trunks, better known outside the world of Jenny as columnar basalt. So that's basalt in a column. Yes, it is, Annie. (laughs) Another great question. (laughs) It's all in the name. (laughs) These fascinating geologic features were formed when a layer of thick lava spread across the area. Because of its thick composition, it cooled and subsequently hardened to basalt rock fairly slowly in comparison to the surrounding lava layers. But during this cooling process, the new rock contracted because as it loses heat, it shrinks. And it's this gradual contraction that led to evenly spaced, deep vertical cracks forming within the rock, splitting the layer of young rock into a vast area of tall hexagonal columns. Question. Yep. (laughs) Why do they actually take on this geometric hexagonal shape? I mean, there's so many other shapes in the world that they could choose from. So why aren't they all just randomly shaped cracks? Ooh, very good question, Annie. It is to do with the specific cooling conditions. 
When the lava composition is very uniform, so all the molten stuff that is spilling out of whichever volcano this came from is very, very well mixed and so essentially all the same. Cooling naturally starts at evenly spaced points, known as centres. The cooling spreads outwards from these centres and pulls contracting rock inwards. And because these centres are evenly spaced, you end up with each cooling centre pulling equally against the surrounding centres, with the rock eventually fracturing at the middle point between contracting centres, thus forming the uniform hexagonal jointing of the columns that we see on Staffa today. It's like magic. What wonderful geometry of nature. It is, it is. It's very similar to cracks forming in drying mud, Um, And it's also the exact same process that formed the Giant's Causeway in Northern Ireland. And a well-known one in America is the Devil's Tower in Wyoming. But what makes Staffa different from these two examples is that it has a big old cave in the side of it. Fingal's Cave. Yay for caves! Yay for caves. (laughs) That's the spirit, Annie. (laughs) It's thought that Staffa actually used to be part of a larger island that included Iona and Mull. But after the last ice age, when the huge ice caps began to melt, the sea levels began to rise. Ah, so here comes the water. Yep, here comes the water. That wasn't such a long wait, was it? You made it, Annie. Well done. (laughs) You make a few million years go very fast for me, Jenny. But these rising waters engulfed much of the low-lying landscape and eventually isolated Staffa, creating the little island that we know and love today. And so, over the last 15,000 years, the relentless pounding waves of the Atlantic have battered the steep columnar cliffs of Staffa, gradually carving out the wondrous Fingal's Cave, column by column. The cave today is 75 metres long and 20 metres high. The entrance is composed of sweeping terrace steps of shorter basalt columns, and the inside walls are lined with huge dark columns stretching high into the rock above. But my favourite part is the ceiling of the cave, where the remnants of collapsed columns hang in a mosaic pattern, like great broken stone teeth. It truly is a cathedral of stone. Finally ready to be discovered by an Englishman in 1772. (laughs) I'd say, and this is just my humble opinion, what with all the geologic and environmental forces that went into creating this natural wonder, that Mother Nature herself should get the credit for discovering Fingal's cave. And then in more recent history, archaeological evidence shows us that Bronze Age people were visiting Staffa. We know this because of recent excavations. A burnt grain of barley was excavated in Staffa in 2016 and was given a radiocarbon date of approximately 1700 before Common Era or BC. This means that Bronze Age people were marvelling at the wonders of Fingal's Cave at least 3,000 years before an Englishman discovered it. 
I hope that one day one of my spilled Cheerios allows some archaeology student to know that one, I had been there, and two, that I was a very messy eater. (laughs) (laughs) Something I often think about is what what will our legacy be? Because it's never what you expect it to be, is it? Mine will be subpar Instagram reels. (laughs) (laughs) No, a solar flare is going to destroy those Instagram reels, Jenny. Beware. We can only hope. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The similarly formed natural wonder that is the Giant's Causeway sits across the sea on the northern coast of Northern Ireland and looks towards Fingal's Cave. They lie about 80 miles apart, and between the two of them, they have captured imaginations for generations. For they are not just tied to each other through geology, but also through swirling legends. In bygone times long past, well before humans, when the earth was still being shaped by ancient powers, a rivalry simmered across the Irish Sea. It was a boiling war that raged between two massive forces, each with the might of a volcano forging stone. For if you were in these lands, you would hear the taunts and the boasts echoing constantly upon the mighty waves between the shores of Scotland and Ireland. Because this argument was not a regular feud, but it was a clash between giants. On the Irish side, we have the giant Finn McCool, and on the Scottish side, we have the giant Ben and Donner. It was said that their voices could shake the very skies and churn the seas into a frenzy. Such was the magnitude of their disdain and hate for one another. I have the biggest sword in all the land. No, I have the biggest sword in all the land. My sword is so big it can carve up mountains. You call what you have over there mountains. I have the biggest mountains in all the land. (laughs) Finn lived with his sharp-witted wife, Sive, in what is now known as County Antrim in Northern Ireland. Finn was a brave warrior leader, the most triumphant warrior in all of Ireland. 
Meanwhile, Ben and Donna lived alone in Scotland. Now, some versions of the legend say that Ben and Donna lived in the cave under Staffa, Fingal's cave. But other stories say that the island was created in the war that is to come. Ben and Donna was a being of such gargantuan proportions that he looked as though he could cause tremors across the whole of Scotland with just a casual hiccup. Of course, this was largely theoretical, as Ben and Donna had never encountered a can of Dr. Pepper big enough to test this hypothesis. Ben and Donna's wardrobe consisted primarily of a hill-sized kilt. It was woven from enough wool to cause a nationwide sheep shortage. He accessorized this kilt with a rather dashing sporran made from woolly mammoth skins and an expression upon his face that said, you might be my next tasty meal. But Ben and Donna was not content, for he gazed across the sea to Finn's lands and felt envious. He wanted Finn's lands for himself. Everything about Finn's lands looked better and brighter. The glens were greener, The heather was a richer shade of purple, and Finn's elks had significantly more impressive horns. My elk has bigger horns than yours. (laughs) You're right, that is a mighty fine elk. I can't argue with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Now, as we know, Finn was an impressive warrior in his own right, and he wasn't afraid of Ben and Donner's green-eyed jealousy, but it irritated him. So Finn would shout across the seas that if Ben and Donner wanted his land, he should march right across the ocean and win it in a fair fight. Alas, the sea was too deep for the giants to walk across, and they both knew it, so it was a bit of an empty threat. And so the two giants threw insults at each other like a violent game of ping-pong, as a regular part of their daily routines. And they'd work themselves up into such a state of turmoil that they would eventually rip chunks out of the land and hurl them at one another, like humongous rocky cannonballs. It was during one of these instances when Finn picked up such a large piece of earth out of Ireland and cast it into the sea towards Ben and Donner that it created an island now known as the Isle of Man. The Isle of Giant, more like, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) The space where he had removed the earth filled with water and created the gorgeous and large Loch Ney. Now, while not a particularly deep thinker, Ben and Donna did have a knack for survival that would make even the very moon wonder if it would be outlived by this giant. His instincts rarely led him astray, except in his ongoing rivalry with Finn, who seemed to specialise in getting under Ben and Donner's colossal skin. And it was on one particularly violent day that Finn shouted across the seas, Oi! Get your wellies on and come over to my island! And we'll have a proper fight. A duel. Fisticuffs. 
Ben and Donna himself was brave, courageous, and strong. So he considered this and responded, Aye, all right then. If you're so brave, then build a causeway for me to cross so I can come over there and fight you giant to giant. Finn knew that building a causeway would be no easy task. The sea was wild and treacherous, even for a giant. And this was an age when massive sea serpents or stirworms were still a genuine threat. Plus, the distance between the two lands was vast. But Finn was undaunted, for he had a plan. He set to work stone by stone, throwing them into the sea to make islands, which were spaced just widely enough apart to become stepping stones. Eventually, he crafted a pathway that stretched across the sea, forming a bridge unlike any other the world had ever seen. With each stone he laid, Finn poured his determination into his work, imagining a life finally free of Ben and Donner and his jeering. Yet, amongst this rage, Finn was creating something that would stand the test of time. It seemed as though the stones themselves were alive, formed from an ancient energy that sang to him of otherworldly places. Finn was one with the earth and sea, and he knew that this creation was destined for greatness. Finally, after months of tireless labor, the bridge was complete. The Giant's Causeway. Finn marveled at his creation, watching as the sea crashed against his causeway with a thunderous roar. He decided that this was as good a day as ever to confront his arch-nemesis, and so he crossed his causeway. When he reached Scotland, though, something made him hesitate. He snuck up on Ben and Donner, who was just picking his teeth with a woolly mammoth tusk. And this was when Finn realised he had made a grave miscalculation. Hiding, which is hard for a giant to do in good circumstances, let alone with the back pain of building a big stone causeway. Finn learned a valuable lesson about perspective. Because although Ben and Donna looked like a regular giant from very far away, the closer you got to him, the bigger he got. And it turned out that Ben and Donna was far larger than any giant Finn had ever seen before. And if we were to be honest with ourselves, Finn was actually quite a petite giant. I'm the biggest giant in all this land. Apart from that absolutely massive giant right there that I'm, I'm, I'm actively running away from right now. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying is that in a giant wrestling match, they would be in different weight categories. Exactly. Ben and Donna would be in the extra, extra, extra heavyweight, and Finn would be in the featherweight categories. Aww. It's like how when you're far away from a mountain, it looks really small. But when you're trying to climb it, it's the biggest mountain in the world. Well, that would be Finn trying to climb Ben and Donna. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as Finn squatted down and spied on Ben and Donner, he realised that in a fair fight, he would be smashed like avocado on toast. And so, terrified, 
Finn ran back along his causeway to his wife, Sive, where he declared, I'm pure keeking my pants. That giant is huge. Now Sive, who was more level-headed than Finn, sighed heavily. She pointed out that, The issue with building a causeway is that it can be used from either side. So if you don't go to Ben and Danner, he's just going to come to you. At this, Finn let out a big giant wail. (sighs) And this, quite frankly, baffling cry from (laughs) giant Finn gave Sive an idea. Finn may not win in a battle of strength, but Sive may win in a battle of wits. And so she hatched a plan that was far smarter than anything that either of the feuding giants had done so far. (sighs) Sometimes if you want a giant conquering done well, you need to do it yourself. So, to save her husband and her homeland from the wrath of Ben and Donner, Sive went to one of the holes in the earth created when Finn had been tearing clumps of land to build the causeway. From here, she gathered iron ore and she took this home. With nimble fingers and a quick mind, Sive baked two loaves of bread. In one of the loaves, she baked iron inside of it. And in the other one, she just used regular whole wheat. Next, she gathered the highest trees in all the land and she wove them together to make a cradle. The biggest cradle ever made still to this day. Reluctantly, Finn went along with her plan, though he was slightly concerned that it may tarnish his reputation as the most formidable warrior in all of Ireland. Fisive addressed Finn as a big baby and swaddled him tightly in a blanket. And then they waited. Soon enough, upon their rising... Sive watched as Ben and Donna finally noticed the causeway and crossed it, hunting for Finn. When he arrived, he knocked on the door and demanded that Finn come out and face him. However, it was Sive who answered. She welcomed him warmly and said, Well, my husband is down at the shops right now, but he'll be home soon enough. You might be rivals, but you're welcome to wait with me until Finn comes back. Let's have a wee snack, shall we? Ah, come on in. Go on. Sive retrieved the freshly baked bread from the oven. It smelt brilliant, and she offered one loaf to Ben and Donner. Ah, go on. Go on, just have a wee bit of bread. Go on, go on. Come on, come on, go on. Go on, go on, go on. Eat the bread. (laughs) Go on. Ah, go on. Ben and Donna was indeed peckish, and he did not suspect any foul play, so he took the bread and bit down heartily. Ouch! What is this? This bread is as hard as rocks. Ah, it shattered my teeth. But Sive, she just smiled sweetly, feigning surprise. Oh, dearie me. This is Finn's favourite bread. He's such a tough, hard giant that he loves nothing more than a bit of iron in his loaf. It's added minerals, you know. It's, it's, it's good for you. And then, from this, a rumbling, gurgling noise came forth from the giant crib. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, even our wee baby loves this bread. Sive then took the regular bread, the bread without any iron baked into it, and she passed it to the crib, where Finn, dressed as a baby, gobbled it all up happily. Yum, yum, yum. At this, Ben and Donna began to tremble. Because if Finn ate wholemeal bread with metal baked into it and had a baby so ginormous, imagine the toughness and magnitude of Finn. Perhaps Ben and Donna had underestimated Finn's size when he had seen him across the sea. Ben and Donna was terrified of how huge Finn must be if his baby was the size of an adult, albeit short in stature, giant. And so Ben and Donna left the house hastily and he ran back across the causeway, never to torment Finn or threaten his home again. Finn jumped out of his baby costume and ran out of the house to see Ben and Donna in the distance. He bent down and he tore up one last great clump of land. With a mighty twisting throw, he hauled it at Ben and Donna as he ran, yelling triumphantly. This final piece of earth landed hot on the heels of Ben and Donna as he scarped away. And this became the island of Ailsa Craig in Ayrshire. Wow, it should be called Sives Causeway. What a plan. She nailed it. Well, while the plan worked exceptionally well, Ben and Donna destroyed Finn's causeway as he was running away. All of Finn's work was plunged into the sea. Ben and Donna didn't want Finn to be able to follow behind him, and so he ripped the causeway apart, everything but the start and the finish. And while Finn and Sive stood celebrating their victory on the giant's causeway on the shores of Ireland, Ben and Donna reached the island of Staffa just as the final pieces of causeway collapsed into the sea. And so Fingal's cave is the last remnant left on the shores of Scotland to remind us of this mighty feat of engineering and this mischievous story of deception. Wow, what a tale! A grand tale fit for a grand cave. Wow. Yes, this is one of the most well-known versions of the tale. It was popularised in the 1800s by Irish writer William Carlton, who collected local folklore. That version of the story gives Finn's wife's name as Una, so if you're retelling the story, you can use either of the names, Sive or Una. Oh, fantastic. Finn McCool is a legendary figure who pops up all over the mythological place. We've talked about him and his band of warriors on this podcast before, and he'll pop up again. I'm certain of that. Well, you're correct, because here he is popping up again already. (laughs) Because (laughs) while I was sifting through the many stories of Fingal's cave, 
I found a tale which tells a different story of Finn and the formation of the cave. Legendary warrior Finn had incredible eyesight, and this meant that he could see across the vast sea separating Scotland and Ireland. And over the seas on the shores of Scotland, he could see a beautiful giant. Over many cycles of seasons, he became utterly besmitten with her. He would watch her as she fed her goats and elk, and he saw a tender, lovely kindness to her in the way she combed her mammoth's fur. A seed of love for this Scottish giant had taken root in Finn's heart, and yet he could not reach her across the sea. Two star-crossed giants. <laughs> the melancholy of their unattainable connection found him wandering the shoreline, with sorrow etched onto his giant face. Absent-mindedly, he began skimming stones. Every stone he chucked, with each splash, a new idea began to form in his mind. He would construct a causeway, a bridge of stone to cross the sea to his distant love. With the dawn, Finn set to his task. Stone by stone he claimed the sea, the causeway stretching out into the waves. At sunset, he trudged home, fatigue in his bones, but a spark of hope in his heart. He was sure he would complete his mission on the very next day. Yet, his grandmother, bound by her love and fear for him, had other intentions. She was a wielder of ancient magic, and she was afraid of losing her beloved grandson to the foreign shores of Scotland. And so that night, while Finn slept, she summoned a mighty storm. A storm to turn the sky and the seas and destroy the partially built causeway. The Tempest, a creature of her creation, tore at the unfinished causeway with a ferocity that mirrored her own emotions. And when dawn broke, Finn was met with the mere remnants of his labour, the causeway a casualty lost to the night storm. Yet Finn was a giant of resolve. He set about his task anew, and set each stone once again reaching further out into the sea. But every night, his toil was met with the same fate, the storms growing fiercer and wilder with every attempt. But despite the setbacks, Finn's spirit remained unbroken, and one day he resolved to make a final attempt. He would work through the night and push against the fury of whatever tempest came. The storm roared its defiance. The thunder and lightning were a chaotic symphony surrounding Finn. The waves pounded at every stone he dared to lift, but yet he persisted. And at last, he reached the shores of Scotland. But the journey had taken its toll. Even the strength of a giant could not withstand such a trial, and Finn succumbed to the sea, dying in the arms of his beloved. Behind him, the causeway he had painstakingly built was swallowed by the ocean. One final farewell. A thunderclap echoed through the landscape. 
a dreadful epilogue to the tale. Finn's grandmother had climbed to a nearby hill to watch the progress of her grandson, and when she witnessed the scene of Finn's death, she was horrified, and her heart weighed heavy with guilt. And in a cruel twist of fate, her ancient magic turned her to stone and made her into an everlasting monument of remorse. And there atop this hill she still stands, a silent witness to the sea that claimed her grandson and his dreams. The fragments and islands left of the causeway revealed themselves the next morning, and it is said that the echoes of Fingal's cave whisper a story of love between Scotland and Ireland, a memory of the two giants who longed to be united forever in love, but instead were torn apart by tragedy. Oh, what a sad story. It's Romeo and Giantette. The gorgeous song that was playing behind Jenny and is still playing now was composed by Felix Mendelssohn. In 1829, this young German composer joined the many tourists who were flocking to Staffa, desperate to see this most magnificent of caves. And upon witnessing the lonely island and sailing into the cave, he immediately wrote the opening theme of this piece. It is named the Hebrides Overture, but it's more commonly called Bingle's Cave. This song straight up slaps. I've been playing it all week in my car and it makes driving the country roads around my house way more epic. It's amazing. This song really does capture the astounding sublime of Fingal's Cave. It floats calmly upon the tinkling tops of the basalt columns and swells with the roaring sea. Or as you say, Jenny, it slaps. Slaps real good. Jenny, are you not too old to be saying things like slaps? I... I am desperately clinging onto my youth in any way I can. I'm, I'm not joking. I bought a pair of Heelys the other night. Did you really? <laughs> um, I had them in my basket on eBay, um, but I chickened out because I'm afraid of what they would do to my joints. <laughs> I think that's a good choice, Jenny, as I wouldn't want to watch you slap the concrete. <laughs> <laughs> The Giant's Causeway and Fingal's Cave aren't just connected via mythology. It was during the same apocalyptic volcanic time 60 million years ago that the causeway formed, under very similar conditions to Fingal's Cave. It's even thought that the two sites may have been part of the same giant lava flow and that there was originally a far larger area covered in basaltic columns. However, the miles and miles of fascinating geology that could have been there were unfortunately scoured away by the huge ice sheets of the Ice Age. Thanks, Ice Age. Ugh. But who knows? There very possibly was a whole causeway of geometric basalt columns linking Ireland and Scotland before the ice turned it all to sand. 
Well, Jenny, at least we can be thankful that both of these stunning natural phenomena survived the many erosive forces of the last 60 million years. The beauty of nature inspires us to tell tales of giants and their giant babies as well as their giant hearts. And Fingal's Cave inspired and still inspires stunning music, poetry, writing, some may say podcasts. <laughs> but I do just want to say, contrary to popular pop culture belief, uh, as inspiring as Fingal's Cave is, it was not the filming location for the cave in Harry Potter. I saw this fact in loads of places when I was researching for this episode, and it's not correct. It's actually the Irish cliffs of Moher that can be seen in the films. So there's some fun anti-trivia for you that you can yell at people next time they try and talk about Fingal's Cave incorrectly. Yes, Jenny, you slap that misconception down. (laughs) So, Jenny, you've asked me to find a beautiful way to end this episode, to sum up the power of Fingal's Cave. Yeah, I was thinking something nice and poetic. There's been loads of romantic era Victorian tourism, which has led to lots of romantic era Victorian writing. And I'm sure you've dug out a pretty solid piece for us. Well, yes, I did find a nine-headed monster. Right. A a romantic Victorian nine-headed monster? (laughs) (laughs) A pickling nine-headed monster. Right, well, I've got no idea what that means, so let's let's hear it. Let's hear this ending you've got for us. The natural acoustics of Fingal's Cave produce an ethereal, almost otherworldly echo. But for all its natural allure, it is not the cave that was said to stir fear into the hearts of locals and sailors alike, but the monstrous creature that is said to dwell within. This creature, known by few but feared by many, is a ferocious sea monster of gigantic proportions, and it is said to have nine monstrous heads, each more terrifying than the last. Its body was a grotesque amalgamation of scales and slime, and it is dwarfed only by the towering basalt columns of the cave, that this creature calls its home. Its eyes were cruel, heartless yellow, gleaming ominously in the darkness of the cave, striking fear into the soul of anyone unfortunate enough to cross its path. And trust me, you do not cross this creature's path more than once. In times gone by, in hushed whispers, locals would speak of the monster's horrifying feeding habits because it did not merely consume its victims on sight. Instead, it subjected them to a gruesome fate. Anyone to be seized by this monster would be held captive in the depths of Fingal's cave. The monster then feeds them big, juicy fish until they are pleasantly plump. But the horror has only begun, because each of the monster's nine heads demanded their own victim to eat and so at any time it does not eat just one person but it has to eat nine of them and so it undertakes a sickening ritual once the victims have been fattened up 
the monster submerges them in barrels of vinegar and whiskey. Over the course of several days, the alcohol pickles the bodies within, preserving them, enhancing their flavour for the monster and preparing them for the monster's grotesque feast. Perhaps the bodies ferment a wee bit, which would be beneficial to the monster's natural gut biome. Annie, I'm going to be honest with you. No amount of nine-headed monsters will make me drink your kombucha. And don't even talk to me about your scoby. I don't even want to know. I've heard it. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a reason that this monster is so into pickling and is preserving its victims in whiskey. Because only when each of its nine mouths can be satisfied with a person of its own does the creature lay out all of these bodies onto a giant table, putting one whiskey-pickled person on each of the islands of the Inner Hebrides surrounding Mull. The monster then sits back on its chair, which is Ben Vore of Mull. And only then do all of the nine heads gobble up all of the nine victims at the same time. The sound of this grotesque monster feasting is a horrifying, disgusting symphony of crunches and squelches echoing throughout Fingal's cave that add to the cave's already unsettling ambience. Wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that it uses all the different islands as various tables to eat its victims. How, how many hands does this whiskey pickle monster have, Annie? It would need at least, like... 18 arms to be using the correct dining etiquette to be, you know, knives and forks for each of its victims. Then it's cutlery. How many cutlery sets does it have? <laughs> <laughs> it's a monster, Jenny, a nine headed monster. It doesn't care about napkins. Now, many brave souls have tried to hunt the monster to free Staffa and the surrounding islands from its reign of terror, but none have ever returned their fate sealed in the belly of the beast. And this story serves us as a grim reminder of the dangers of the sea and the cost of confronting the nine-headed monster of Fingal's Cave. So if you ever do visit Fingal's Cave, imagine both the sound of the crashing waves as an opera of beautiful music, and then remember this myth and wonder if it could be the haunting sound of the monster, forever in search for its next victim. However, based on the five-star reviews that Fingal's Cave has achieved on TripAdvisor, there appears that there is no longer a nine-headed monster using the cave as a pickle cupboard, so you don't need to worry anymore. Wow. Well... I don't I don't think that was either Victorian or particularly romantic Annie, but thank you for it nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> but a huge thank you to all of you for listening and especially to all of our patrons. You guys are helping our podcasting dream come true and we appreciate every single one of you. If you have been enjoying Stories of Scotland and are considering becoming a Patreon, then please do. It takes two minutes to sign up and you gain access to all of the content that we've been putting up there over the last few years. It's really a pickle cupboard cave treasure trove of tales. So a very warm welcome to all of our new patrons. A social media, Benjamin, Dominic, Jamie and omnipotent Mitzi, who has possibly the best email address that we've ever seen. Until next time, slant 
Slangevar. So the Gaelic name is Melodious Cave. What kind of music do you think this cave is listening to, Jenny? Uh, I've read in a couple of places, actually, that the cave is a big fan of Lady Gaga. Uh, so I would guess that it listens to all the hits. You know, you got uh, Basalt Romance, The Edge of Quarry, <laughs> Alejandro. Um, <laughs> what's the I'm your biggest fan, I'll follow you until you melt me. Lava, lava. Ratsy. <laughs> See, I thought that Fingal's Cave would be more of like a Taylor Swift fan. Oh, a Swifty. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are never, ever, ever getting basalt together. Stop. Stop. It's a lava story. Cavey, just say yes. Stop. Volcano's gonna warm, 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 and the rocks are gonna form, 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 form. I'm just gonna splunk, 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 splunk. Splunk it off, splunk it off. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Great. I don't think you are sorry in the slightest, Annie. <laughs> the Atlantic waves. You are the Atlantic waves. I can't do an Irish accent to save my life, so. Neither. <laughs> How now, brain cow? How now, brain cow? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.